D, I have a math question for you. Go for it. If plants are half off at the garden center, how many can you buy? It means I can buy twice as many. It's plant math. Exactly. So I know you headed out to buy hellebores last week, but we're sadly disappointed that they got there before you. They did. They did. I would have tried, but they did. But since then, I have bought other things, so I'm okay. All right. Very good. Well, let's get this episode started. You got the first line. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden 1.5 acres out of my 7.5 acres way out in the country. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. I have a suburban garden measured in squared feet. It's about a third of an acre. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want you to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Dee. Hello, Carol. How does your garden grow and what did you do this week? Because I know we're both having beautiful weather, right? We are both having beautiful weather. And so I kind of kept notes as I went. We had some days in the upper 70s. So the tulip bulbs, I have planted them. I cleaned up the back patio and stowed all that stuff away. I cleared up the old tomato plants off the vegetable garden because no one wants those things hanging around all season. And when I was out there, I found some stock flowers still in bloom and there were some lovely seed heads. So I collected stock seeds because, you know, I spent 22 cents for two packets. So the fact that I could collect (laughs) 10 times more than that. I mean, my 22 cents is going a long way. You sure has. And you sure have enjoyed those very inexpensive flowers, right? Yes. Zinnias and sunflowers. I pulled all those and I just put them in a big pile on one of the raised beds. So I got to figure out what to do with that. There were so many weedy grasses back there amongst them, but I've got all that cleaned up because, you know, beautiful weather makes it easier to go out there and do stuff. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So beautiful, beautiful weather. And I I picked up acorns up from the tree out front, which is having a very big mast year. Guess how many pounds I picked? I have no idea. 18 pounds of acorns. I wouldn't be surprised. We are not having a mast year this year, but boy, last year was. It's just that one tree. (laughs) Isn't that weird? So inside my microgreens, I've been harvesting those and I started a bunch more. So I want to keep the supply going. And this week, this is an unusual week, Dee. I spoke twice. You did. You spoke twice. I couldn't believe it. I know. Garfield Park Master Gardeners were lovely. There were a couple of listeners in there because I walk in and the lady says, and you're wearing green. Cute. So cute. And And then then you spoke. At the Marion County Master Gardeners, which is another group in the same county. And they're just a little bit bigger. But two different topics. And it's very unusual because I really don't go out and speak very much. But when local groups ask if I'm in a mood, okay, I'll go. For those of you who don't know, Carol and I have spoken on many panels together over the years at GardenCom and other places about work, but she's a very good speaker. She's very talented and very funny. Yes. And that's what people said they liked about our podcast. The one lady said, I like you guys' sense of humor. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad they like our sense of humor. So you want to hear what's going on in my garden? Yes, I do, because you had good weather too. 
Oh my gosh, I was so busy. I did some puttering in the greenhouse on the cool days because it was lovely in there. And I potted up all a bunch of amaryllis bulbs. And I worked with two separate clients, two, two separate garden coaching clients on their landscapes. And these are big landscapes. So it was really fun. And one of the landscape is being completely, well, no, that's not right. Two, both are being completely redone. Cool. And then I shredded the leaves on our driveway and the leave the leaves people don't need to come get me because these are not, I mean, if you guys saw my yard, I have so many leaves and I only take up the leaves that are like on the driveway, on the paths and the ones that'll smother a small perennial or the ones that smother my very small fescue lawn. The rest of the leaves are, they can just stay where they are. And there are so many this year. And let's see, I took those leaves that I shredded and I put them up in the upper pasture on the meadow. Can we talk about people that don't want you to do anything at all with your leaves? We have not talked about leave the leaves this particular year. We talk about it well, every year. We'll talk this about that in our in our flower t- thing. We'll talk about that. Keep okay, going. we can talk about that because some leaves are easier to leave than others. Exactly. Um, okay, so in the upper pasture... I have very thin soil in some places because the it was the borrow pit to build the roads 45 years ago. Okay. Okay. So they took off all the topsoil and slowly it's come back, but I realized there's several places that I have got to put down some something. And this is the cheapest way I know to rehab it. And so there's some purists about meadows who say, well, you shouldn't put leaves on meadows because that's really forest. Mm-hmm. But you know what? In my area, it's fine because I'm in a forest. So you're just giving me another group of people that we're going to have to make comment on. That's so, okay. They can come comment all they want to. And then Bill and I bought two large maple trees to plant where our barn once stood. Yay! And we're actually having them planted by the nursery, which I never do. But these are big trees, big, expensive trees. Not too big a caliper because if you, you know get too big a caliper, it's hard for them to get what established. Established. It's hard from the yeah. yeah it, there's a bit of a setback, right? And these will not have that. They're not that big, and so one of them's October Glory, and the other one's Autumn Blaze. I also helped my son order two trees for his front yard because he's never had any, and his are Autumn Blaze and Legacy. They're all maples. Okay, so that was a lot. Other than that, oh, and they're going to plant them in two to three weeks. Cool. Because, because everybody's buying trees right now. And this is a good time to plant trees. And they're on sale a lot of places around here. Yes. They are not on sale here yet, but I wanted certain trees, so that's okay. And then I'm still watering the roses in the pots once a week because we're still warm. And I have one hose still hooked up. And somebody asked me on Instagram, it was Teresa Byington. She said, don't you have those on drip? No, I don't have these two on drip because they're brand new. And so I also bought, so I have to water them and I'm, I'm only watering them once a week. And then let's see, I bought two new big pots. I went to Big Creek Nursery and I bought two large pots. I bought some succulents for my greenhouse because I really kind of enjoy succulents in the greenhouse. And then I harvested spinach and I made a salad and I thinned my kale and everything's so happy with all this beautiful weather. And I'm thinking about planting some lettuce seeds in my cold frame because the lettuce seeds that I planted in my potage are getting eaten by things. Mm. They found them. Oh, so gosh. I could cover those. I mean, I'm thinking about both ways. Anyway, 
it's we're running out of time though because you know it may the lettuce may just sit there and then start to grow again in the spring you know because it's getting days getting shorter 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 days are getting shorter 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 so i was going to say i have two red maples i have october glory and autumn blaze the same two you are got are you kidding uh-uh. That is so cool. We will have Twinkie trees. Except I don't know which is which because I forgot to remember. One's in so front, one's in back. they look similar, right? Don't mm-hmm. they look similar? Yeah, I don't know uh, how you tell uh, the difference. October, October Glory is supposed to grow slightly slower than Autumn Blaze. Does then it's probably the one in the back. There you go. Mine are going to be planted right where the barn was. And we saw that as a sign of hope. So when we get into our flower topic, let me... We'll talk a little bit about red maples because... They're very prevalent in our neighborhood, and I have noticed something about them. Okay, cool. So what's your favorite this week, playing favorites? So I'm going to go with this little tiny white crocus, which started blooming this past week. And I thought that is it's not the same. Crocus, no, right? it's it's no. an autumn crocus. It just started blooming. It's not the same as the crocus, the autumn crocus, which is crocus speciosus. Oh, okay. So you think so, it's crocus. I think it's Cochianus albus, also known as Cochis crocus. Did he find it? Don't know. Mr. That's a Cochi. that's that's the white one that's out there. So I think it's that one. I don't have that many of them, but you know, there's like one little clump, and it's it's expanding a little bit. I wrote a blog post about it, so I'll, maybe I'll add a link. Here's the thing. I wonder if I could get autumn crocus to bloom in the spot under the oak tree where all my dogtooth violets bloom you probably could here's the thing because about that autumn doesn't crocus. Get distur- it doesn't get disturbed over there you could probably so. do that but the thing is you'll find they are all sold out right now order yeah. it next year they'll ship it probably around september early october for you and plant it right away it will bloom very late but i would definitely okay. try definitely I think it's worth trying. I have tried those and colchicums before in the garden, but I just think I dig too much in the garden, among other things. What's your favorite this week? Oh, my favorite is my Amsonia, my threadleaf Amsonia. It's Amsonia, I never can say this, Hubrichtii. It's so yellow. It is beautiful. I like it way better than the other Amsonias, which I don't know what they're, I can't remember the species name. Of Mine was beautiful this year. It redeems oh its other terrible qualities, but. So do you only have Threadleaf or do you have the other one too? The other Amsonias? I think mine's leaf. the other Amsonia. I don't think it's Threadleaf. I think it's the, whatever the other one is. The name I think does you not would like Threadleaf better. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't produce that sap. I don't think, or if it does, it's in small amounts, but I don't know if it would reseed in your garden or not. So anyway, I love mine. It's planted next to an aromatic aster that I dug most of it out, but it's the perfect little amount now. And I'm thinking about putting down some metal edging around that aster to keep it from spreading because it loves to spread. But are you really going to do that? Or are you just going to yank some of it out? No, I yanked a whole bunch of it out. I know, but are you really going to put down a metal edging in between? Well, I mean, what's wrong with that? Nothing. I just like, you know, I I don't know that you're actually going to. a hammer and a little bit of metal edging. Okay. All right. Maybe. Let us know if you do it. But digging it out was hard. That's why I'm saying that. Okay. First quote. Certainly there was an Eden on this very unhappy earth. We all long for it and we are constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature at its best and least corrupted 
its gentlest and most humane, is still soaked with the sense of exile. J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, I love that quote. I I had never read that by him, but I agree. I think that's true. We're all looking for the gentleness. The, we're looking for Eden. We are. So flower topic, I came up with it last night. We had a different flower topic, and then I said, can we do this flower topic? And I said, yes, we can. Fall leaf color, because of course... D, I wrote a Family Handyman article about fall leaf color from shrubs. Good for you. And then I wrote about what is beautiful in my garden right now. Just, I made it in our notes. <laughs> and I'm thinking about doing a blog post about it because I have beautiful pictures of all of these things. So if people are listening at this point, they might want to get a pen ready because I don't think we can put all this in our newsletter. And I will do a blog post, but it ain't going to happen this week. Now, before so, you go down through those, yeah. You you brought up an interesting point that a lot of times with trees, everybody's like, well, I want one that's going to have a good fall color. And so that's where you get into October glory and autumn blaze, red maples. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many varieties of red maples are in my neighborhood, but they are interesting in how they change colors and drop leaves at completely different times. My neighbor two doors down, he has three and they all change and drop at three different times. Interesting. My, my two are done. My neighbor next door, I was just over there talking to him. He's got one. It's still got every single leaf on it, it seems like. And he says, he says, when yours drops right by him, he says, it blows to my yard. When my drop on the other side of the driveway, he says, the wind goes the other direction. He says, I get hit both ways. How funny. So it is interesting. But you. What's your theory? I They're just different varieties. I think they are, too. What's the point the I'm going thing. to bring up? You're going to talk a lot about some color that you get from shrubs. And people don't usually think about shrubs in terms of fall color. You know, they're yeah. like, does that flower? But you can get some excellent fall color from things other than that nasty burning bush. Yeah, we got to stop planting burning bushes. Burning bush good. is nasty. Ioannima salatus. We learned about it in college. It's dwarf, which means it only gets to five feet and it's... <laughs> <laughs> But that's dwarf compared to the other yeah, the that's species. Well, okay, so that that's funny. I don't think we've talked about this on here, even though you and I have talked about it. I was on that trip. I was on the blogger's deal. And we were we were in the rain, tromping around this lady's garden. And the horticulturist who put it all together for us, he <laughs> he was dragging us around. I mean, it was raining. It was raining like unbelievable rain because it was a tropical storm. I'm completely drenched and I'm standing there and he says, we are now in the dwarf section of the garden. And he goes, and what does that mean? And I said, absolutely nothing. And he looked so surprised and he goes, ding, ding, ding. That's right. And why is that right, Carol? Because, you know, a dwarf, (laughs) if something normally would get 10 feet tall, the dwarf version might get five feet tall. Joe Pieweed is a great example. Yeah, dwarf. Little Joe. They're three feet tall. (laughs) They're still three feet tall. The the normal one would be five to six. Uh, So now, (laughs) what are the beautiful leaves in your garden, Dee? Okay, right now, this I actually went outside. We're recording this on a Sunday. I went outside, and I was actually taking some pictures for one of my clients because she was at the nursery, and she was looking at Annabelle's, for example. Hydrangea, arborescence, Annabelle. The arborescence, arborescence series of hydrangeas, which are smooth leaf, 
They bloom white or pink, depending on the cultivar, and their leaves turn the most beautiful gold. And in the fall, their blooms turn the most gorgeous brown. It is so pretty that I leave it on until spring because they bloom on new wood. So you're not going to cut off next year's blooms. So that's one of them. Also, oak leaf hydrangeas have beautiful color, and so do do paniculata hydrangeas. And I'm just going to put out a plea right now to people who want blue and pink hydrangeas, which are macrophylla. Unless you have the perfect conditions for them, don't. Because they just hate our environment. Do they like your environment? I don't know. They'll always be pink. They'll never be blue because we're no. our soil's too al- alkaline. But I will say my oak, my oak hydrangeas, and I have three or four of them, they all have a very lovely mahogany color to them right gorgeous. now. They're gorgeous. just super gorgeous. So one of the small ones in the oak leaf group is ruby slippers. And ruby slippers can also handle full sun in my climate with water. And that's so pretty good. Can, yeah, that's pretty darn good. I mean, I saw it. Blooming in a picture from the Dallas Arboretum. That's why I bought it. I bought it to replace my roses that got rose rosette disease, which I can't think of the name of that rose right now, but it doesn't matter. All right. So Ruby Slippers, Oak Leaf Hydrangea has beautiful blooms. It also has beautiful stems because they're red. And then those leaves turn that mahogany color. Okay. The next thing I would suggest is Black Hog Viburnums or any Viburnum. Yes. Right? They, turn, they turn very lovely. Oh my gosh, so pretty. Forest Rouge, I have I have two types of black haws. I have a black haw that is just the native and it's down in my lower garden and it kind of occupies a corner and it keeps the deer out of my garden. And then I also have one up in my forested area that just came up all by itself because it is a native. And then I have Forest Rouge and Forest Rouge is a thing of beauty and it makes a much smaller tree and it doesn't sucker as much as my native, plain native, straight species. So just something to think about. It turns a beautiful red and then it turns a really dark mahogany color. And then smoke trees, I think grace, which is one variety of smoke tree. It is the prettiest, but the regular old royal, whatever is royal velvet or royal. I never can remember. It is beautiful smoke. Yeah. They're Yeah. This one's royal something. Anyway, it doesn't matter. All of the smoke trees have beautiful, beautiful color. Grace has a little bit more color. The Amsonia, which we already mentioned, that's not really a shrub. It's really a perennial, but because it dies all the way to the ground, but it's really beautiful. And I think the thread leaf is prettier than anything else. And actually, I have an Instagram reel that comes out tomorrow, and I'm going to show it. The green Japanese maples. So this is a plea for green Japanese maples, even though everybody wants a red one. I like red ones too. I have several red ones and I have multicolored ones, but I'm telling you the green ones have the color. In the fall, definitely. In the fall. And you know what? They do kind of blend into the environment in the summer, but varieties like coral bark, which is Sango Kaku, they have coral They have coral stems. So you get three seasons of interest with that tree. And it's really beautiful and it gets quite big. Surprisingly, this year, my Therese Bougenet, I hope I pronounced that right, rose, it's on a pot on the deck and that it's Rosa Rigosa. Okay. I think I'm pretty sure it's a Rigosa. And so it has those rough leaves. Yes. It is the most startling, gorgeous yellow right now. I never noticed it before. So I don't know if just our temperatures were just right. 
to get that perfect, you know, because you have to have those freezes and then a shoot up of the temperatures that gives you the best color, but it is prettier than it's ever been. But I do know that Rosa Rugosa's are very, very hardy. And they're also have beautiful foliage, especially in the fall. And then grasses, which aren't really shrubs, but they take the place of shrubs in the garden. So I think they count. All the native ones, like, well, not all the native ones, but the native switchgrasses, they have great color and they're all different. So you should look it up before you buy one because Northwind is yellow and Cheyenne Skies is kind of a burgundy, multicolor with rust and burgundy. There's also, let's see, oh, Chinese maiden grass, the fountain grasses, they look really good in the fall too. They turn bright yellow. And then for perennial, oh, and choke cherry, choke cherry and chokeberry. I have, I think it's called Black Prince. It's a selection of the native. It does great. Ogon spirea, which I featured this week, gorgeous fall color, gorgeous spring color. It blooms in spring. Choke cherry also blooms in spring. And it's pretty all summer and it makes fruit. So what a great plant, right? Except the fruit is extremely sour. Well, I'm not going to eat it. Oh, yeah. For the birds would eat it. Yeah, I don't do it. No, I'm not eating it. Although our friend Ella did it. And then spicebush, which I talk about a lot. I mean, spicebush has beautiful, beautiful leaves. It blooms earlier than anything else in spring. And let's see, arrowhead viburnum, which we already mentioned the viburnums. And did I mention autumnal sneezeweed yet? You were going to, but then you wanted to finish up your shrubs. And I have two shrubs in my garden that aren't on your list, but. Okay. I want to hear about them, but autumnal sneezeweed, just the regular one. It turns bright yellow in the fall. So two shrubs in my garden that you didn't mention is Father Gilla. Yeah. I've tried to grow that. I can't grow it. Okay. It's, it does okay here. It really would like the soil to be a little bit more acidic, but acidic. Yeah. I've got one tucked over on the garage side of the house. And I, that's why I ran over there right before we recorded, took a picture of it. It's kind of just, you know, we're, we're a little bit past peak here, but it's still got some nice color. Uh The other one is my witch hazel in the back. It has a beautiful yellow foliage. Witch hazels. Yeah. They're fabulous. Yeah, they have yeah. good yellow foliage. So And it's also oh and also Helena and Diane have red foliage. So a lot of the witch hazels like Arnold Promise or the native ones, yellow. they they are yellow. But Helena and Diana or Diane, they have beautiful red foliage. And the cool thing about it is they have those rough leaves, so you get a multicolored effect no matter which one they are. Because yes. this the centers of the leaves, the what you call those, they are a different color. So it's, they're just beautiful. I love witch hazels. And in fact, oh, I thought of another one, deciduous magnolias. Yeah. Except deciduous magnolias have beautiful foliage. Yellow. Mine have all dropped. Yeah. Mine are, uh, it's funny. I have these yellow ones, yellow blooming ones that have never bloomed, Carol. I planted them, I think in too much shade. But they've gotten huge now. I mean, they I have three of them and they're huge. And I walked past them the other day and they took my breath away. They were that yellow. The leaves were. And I have a feeling because of the fire, they got more sun this year. And so maybe they'll bloom. I think maybe they'll bloom next spring, which would be awesome. Well, you could look now to see if they've got flower buds on them and that'll tell the you tale. Know, I should do that. I should look at that. You're absolutely right. And so another one of those that deciduous magnolias, all of the little girl series, which is the ones created by the U.S. Arboretum. Right. Anne, Jane, there's some others. Yeah. You can find Anne and Jane pretty easily and they're beautiful. 
Yeah. And the one other thing is you are right about spireas. People don't, people think spireas are kind of boring, but they really, they have some nice full color. I mean, it's not going to knock your socks off, but it, it, they're not going to be like that dreaded Asian honeysuckle in the woods right now. It never changes color, stays green. And then those leaves will drop. And so that's, this is the perfect time to go out. If you have a wooded area or want to volunteer somewhere you'll see it it's it's the one with all the green leaves and the red berries and i was driving in indianapolis yesterday to go to my yeah yesterday to go to my speaking engagement and i went to some old section of indianapolis and i saw what could be a beautiful wooded property but the overhanging the edge of it along the street it was just a big row of asian honeysuckle yeah, it's terrible. It's kind of like the calorie pair, the Bradford pair. In the spring, when I drive up toward Tulsa, all of the forests are now white. And I see yes. the Asian honeysuckle too in the fall and in the winter. And then I also see autumnal autumn clematis. Yeah. That's and I've got a problem with it in my garden too. In fact, when I was going out and taking these pictures, I saw a big old clump of it where it reseeded itself because of the birds. So I'll be digging that up after the episode. Yes. So we should end this on a high note because we kind of went down a kind of a complainy. Look at all the Asian honeysuckle. It's still green. <laughs> Autumn clematis. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we do have beautiful foliage, both in trees and in shrubs. And oftentimes the trees are what take your breath away when you're driving down the road and you just go over the hill and there's a big bunch of trees but down in the garden where you're more intimate with your space, it's the shrubs that really kind of, you get to see them up close. And I think you they do. make and, a lot of difference. And we, you know, we didn't even mention the oak trees. And I live in an oak forest and it's, they're all different colors. So that was one reason I chose Autumn Blaze and October Glory because I have tons of bright yellow, which is more what my oak trees do. They do this oak trees yellow here just- or this brown. They don't they do go from reddish brown to brown and hold their leaves all. No, they don't. You so don't. you must have all post oaks or something. We have like red oak, black oak, white oak. What I about mean, red sweet oak. gums? Do you guys have a lot of sweet gums? We have a lot of sweet gums. And that is another tree. Beautiful color. Beautiful color. Mm-hmm. But those gumballs, the yeah, they are a the pain females. to deal with. Yeah. So something to think about. Anyway, shall I do the next quote? You should do the next quote because I do have a funny sweet gum story, but I want to hear it. So I bought one. Or do you want to do next week and do trees we love? We could do trees. No, no. Let's just finish this up. We're going to go. Okay. I bought a sweet gum that was labeled as seedless. Okay. Okay. So two years later, I'm like, this thing's got gumballs. So I took a picture and I took the receipt. And this is like 1999. And I take it back to the the garden center way on the north side where I bought the thing. And I says, it's got gumballs. And it was, you sold it to me as seedless. They just looked at me like I was a crazy lady. They wouldn't do a dang thing. And why was that, Carol? Why would they look at me like I'm a crazy lady? Yeah. Because you you can't tell, right? (laughs) Anyway. I said, I you miss, this is a mislabeled tree. This is not seedless, clearly. I ended up taking it out for other reasons, but. I have a client who bought two of them or three. They were seedless? No, I don't know what she bought. She bought, she bought them at a plant sale. So that, you know, I don't know. 
I said, let's put them, let's put them somewhere where if they drop the balls, it won't. Matter. When they drop the balls, not if. It's going to happen. But she loves them, and she's from Tennessee, so it's okay. All right. So for her, not for me. I don't want them. Shall All right. I do the quote, please. It was November. The month of crimson sunsets, parting birds, deep sad hymns of the sea, passionate wind songs in the pines. Anne roamed through the pineland alleys in the park, and as she said, let that great sweeping wind blow the fogs out of her soul. That's by Ellen Montgomery. And I don't know which Anne this is from, because there's a whole series of Anne's. There is. There is. I don't know. You had sent part of the quote, and then I looked it up, and I thought, well, we need the context. So I put the second sentence in. Yeah. This is what we do all week. We converse about what we're going to talk about. Texting back and forth. We text all week long. Yes. (laughs) All right. Our vegetable topic, I'm very excited about because I found out something new this year and I put it in our deal. Winter squashes. So we're going to talk about pumpkins, butternut, butternut, delicata, spaghetti squash, all those keepers. But first, Mm -hmm. D. Did you see the article about the new world's record for a pumpkin? Only because you sent it to me. It's ridiculous. 2,749 pounds. How the heck? But the thing was, the guy grew it in Minnesota. The way off was in California. And they said that they once they're harvested, they lose like six to seven pounds a day. They said this thing was seven and a half feet across. So how did the guy get it from Minnesota to California, it's big. How it's did he huge. do that? He put it on a truck is what he did. And they probably drove straight through. They probably had two truck drivers who drove straight through, which it would only take them a day or two. So what did it weigh when they first harvested it? Because they probably lost 10, 10 pounds pound, on the road. 10 pounds anyway. more. But when you're talking about 2,749, what's 10 pounds? <laughs> How much? And so from the very, very big... To the very, very small. So I was flipping through Instagram and Matt Mattis has a very cute little, he's got his little truck and he's spinning it around and it is full of this cute new butternut squash that is called honey nut. Now, once I saw it and it's extremely prolific, he like got, I don't know how many plants he had, but not very many. It's not, you know, butternut squash is not very prolific normally, but it makes little, they're about, I don't know, how big is that? That's about six inches. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe four. They're very cute little butternut squashes. And since I saw that, I went and looked and several places have seed, including Eden Brothers, where we have an affiliate link. But the cool thing is, he says it's very prolific, and I actually tagged you in my response to him, my second response today. Look. Then I was in the store. Well, then, no, then I took one of Guilford Gardens weekly bags, you know, from the CSA. It was, I got it, and guess what? It had one of them in it. I haven't cool. eaten it yet, but I'm going to eat it because they're little. They're like two people sized. Instead of getting all that butternut squash. You get little ones. And then I saw them in the store and they were on top of one of those really cute displays and they were all on this little display and they were adorable. They're adorable. I bet. I bet. So we need to grow them. Okay. We have to grow honey nut butternut. In the meantime, for our topic, I went to, I don't know if it's becoming our Bible, but the chef's garden by farmer Lee Jones. It's the garden Bible. 
So he tells us that squash is native to the Americas and it is is one of the oldest cultivated foods on this hemisphere. And at one time there were hundreds, he says, if not thousands of varieties, but that dwindled in the mid 20th century because people got the same old thing, pumpkins, acorn squash, butternuts, but right. But he says, thanks to the heirloom vegetable movement and more farm stands, we have once again discovered some of the varieties that were lost, and they're finding new ones every year. So that is a big yippee. It is a big yippee. And he also says that smaller squash are awesome, often more flavorful. So it makes me think honey nut is going to taste really good. And he says to choose fruit that feels rock hard with no soft spots or nicks. And skin should be matte looking with a hint of sheen. I was going to say a little bit shiny. Yeah. Just a Too shiny, he says, means it's still immature. And the thicker yeah. the skin, the longer it will store. And he says, basically, don't store it in the refrigerator unless it's been cut. He that's says interesting. 50 degrees Fahrenheit, which nobody has any spot that's 50 degrees Fahrenheit, unless you had like oh. an uncovered porch or, or a maybe or a basement. But anyway, it isn't heated, but it doesn't matter. OK, so I keep them in my pantry. They do fine. I had another thought. Oh, I was watching an old episode of Gardener's World from like two uh-huh. weeks ago. And Monty Don was harvesting his pumpkins. He had some really pretty pumpkins. And he was harvesting his butternuts. And one of the tips he gave was that when you cut pumpkins off the vine, he said a lot of people want to cut them on the stem, but that causes them to rot faster. So he said to cut them off in a T. So cut the vines above the stem on either side. Oh, so yeah. It a tea. I bet that, that works with, no, I did not know I that. I know bet that. that works with all the squashes, all the winter squashes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I think it would help with every squash because you're not cutting into that stem and it can all just dry naturally. And then, of course, if you want to cut it, you can cut it. But it just is a beautiful thing. So you have down here best ways to prepare. Is that from? Well, um, Farmer Lee Jones says basically you either steam on which he calls like water cooking them or roasting which is dry cooking he said with steaming the problem is that you can end up with too much water and they get kind of mushy right so if i'm going to make it for a pumpkin pie for example and use a real pumpkin which i have a lot of times i have steamed it although you don't have to you can roast it a lot of people do now and then if i'm going to eat squash which i eat pretty often actually because it's really good for me and it's not on my allergy food list, which we haven't ever, we haven't talked about. Then I'm going to roast it because I like for it yeah. to consolidate those sugars. Yes. So, and that's what that's what happens when you roast. So let's talk about growing squash. So it's lovely to eat it, lovely to buy it, but they can be a pain it's in the butt hard. to grow. First of all, they're going to take all summer long. Mm-hmm. They need full sun. They need lots of room. They need bees to pollinate those flowers. And they'd like lots, very fertile soil. And I put lots of fertilizer and you said they like poop. So lots of. They do. Well, they like well-rotted manure. So some people will start seedlings indoors a few weeks before their last frost just to get a jump on things. Right. But you can also just direct sow in the garden and you you could put like two or three seeds, but you really need to thin it down to one or two in a hill. One is plenty. So one of the reasons we grow all squash 
inhale inhales, you don't have to, but a lot of people do, is it warms up the soil faster. Yes. And it also helps with drainage. So, and also you, you do not want to mulch around the vines because that encourages squash bugs. They hide underneath the mulch. Yes. And so let us squash let go right there. So squash bugs and squash squash vine borers will not only attack your zucchini summer squash, they'll go straight for this winter squash. So you got to figure out how you're going to protect against it. And you can cover, but then go back to the flowers need to be pollinated. So you have to, when it's in full flower, you're going to have to let the bees get to it to pollinate it. So that's the conundrum. Or you have to hand pollinate it. So if you have a small garden, you can hand pollinate it. And there's also a specific bee that is not a honeybee. That's a native bee that pollinates squash and it's called a squash bee. And I've had that. I looked it up. That's how I knew because I saw them on my squash and I was like, that's a cute little bee. Turns out it's a specific bee and it's kind of endangered like all bees. So if you're going to grow these things, you probably don't want to use pesticides or, and also you can use diatomaceous earth to discourage baby squash bugs, but you don't want to put it anywhere near the blooms because then you hurt the bees too. It's all very complicated. I think I'll just buy honey nut. I'm good. You, you had us all convinced at the beginning of this topic that we were growing honey nut. Well, we might grow honey nut, but gosh. Okay. Let us continue. You want to pick all your winter squash before it gets hit by frost. Yep. And then you want to wipe it down good because there are molds and fungi and things that want to attack it and eat it. You know, they want to devour it. So cleaning it good keeps that off. And then you want to store in a cool, dark location. And like we said, not the refrigerator. But if you had a bumper crop, you wouldn't want to store them all in your refrigerator anyway. So, okay. Can I talk about delicata? Well, I'm going to talk about my favorite and then you can talk about delicata. Okay. My favorite. I like the spaghetti squash. I like it too. I like it a lot, but I like delicata more. And one of the reasons I like delicata is you can eat the rind. You can eat the skin. I saw that. I looked it up because I'm thinking, I don't really know much about delicata, but with spaghetti squash, the the hardest part of it is getting it cracked open. Yeah. Cut it in half, scoop out the seeds, coat it with a little tiny bit of olive oil, put it upside down, you know, open side down on the baking sheet, throw it in that oven, 400 degrees, 40 minutes or so. If you can stick a little knife right through that rind, it's done. Pull it out, scrape out would of all like the stuff, tip? and that's it. What would your tip be, D? So on your spaghetti squash, poke some holes into it, stick it in the microwave until it gets a little bit softer. And you'll know it gets hot, but the skin gets a little bit softer and then you can easily cut it. And then you let it cool for just a second, scoop out the seeds and then proceed. Oh, I didn't know you that. Won't have, and you won't have to cook it for 40 minutes. Although I do love it roasted because it it is drier. You know, you can do the whole thing in the microwave. If you Ugh. stab it really good, you can do it in the microwave. But all I do is I soften it up in the microwave because it's killer trying to get that thing cut in half and scooped out. This scoops out real easy. Just an idea. Okay, I'll think about that. Now, delicata. delicata. Delicata squash is one of the best squash out there. It, I think it's an heirloom. I'm not sure about that, but I never saw it until a few years ago. And they're small. They're, you know, people-sized. So they're four to six inches. They have stripes on the side. I always find them at Natural Grocer. Probably our new Crest grocery store will have them too. But for now, I get them from natural grocer because they always have them in their organic because I'm going to eat the rind. I'm going to eat the skin. Yeah. So you cut, they're easy to cut in half. Unlike some of the other ones, you scoop out the seeds real quick, 
slap, slap, slap into slices, right? And uh-huh. then you just lay them out flat on your baking sheet with whatever else you're roasting, like, you know, p- sweet potatoes, anything, carrots, whatever. They all roast at the same rate. And so when everything else is done, they're done. It's And it's sweet and it's just easy to deal with and it's delicious. It kind of is a nutty, sweet taste, but not really. I'm going to try it. The recipe that you said, the recipe you said we're going to link to says it's nicknamed the sweet potato squash because it has a sweet velvet, velvety flesh that caramelizes beautifully in the oven. And that's probably, yeah, I would say so. Okay. Anything what else on good, winter squashes, Dee? No, but what a good episode we're having. Okay, move okay. on. Okay, we're going to completely switch topics. Yay. Letters are expectation packaged in an envelope, and that is Shauna Alexander. The bookshelf. The bookshelf. We decided to talk about. Yes, we decided to talk about books of letters between two gardeners. And we, I have three on my shelf. There's Elizabeth Lawrence and Catherine S. White, Two Gardeners of Friendship in Letters. I own it. Mm -hmm. Christopher Lloyd and Beth Chatto, Dear Friend and Gardener. I own it. (laughs) Alan Lacey and Nancy Goodwin, A Year in Our Gardens. I own it. And you know what is cool about these? Okay, so two things. All right, the Christopher Lloyd Beth Chatto one. You and I and Marianne Newcomer years and years ago as bloggers decided to write each other letters based on this book. Yes, we did. And it was quite bit. fun because you know what? I find it periodically. Like it'll come yes. up in searches and uh-huh. I really, really enjoy it. It's Dear Friend and Gardener. And we did that. And it was cool because Marianne lives in Idaho. You live in Indiana. I live in Oklahoma. So it was really fun. And then Alan Lacey, the cool thing about Alan Lacey's book. Okay. I've been to Beth Chatto's garden, which is awesome. You, I've been to Elizabeth Lawrence's garden. As have I. Too. And I've not been to Great Dixter, which I know is odd. because We've been right to Nancy Goodwin's it. garden. Yes. We've been to Nancy Goodwin's garden. And I didn't even know. It's Montrose. And I didn't even know what it was when we pulled up to it because I can be a doofus. And so the other part of that is Alan Lacey. I never was in his garden, but I have the, I have the aster, the new England aster that is named after his wife, which was given to me. And that's really special. Yes. So of all these, I was, I put in the notes that I prefer the book of letters between Elizabeth Lawrence and Catherine S. White, because they wrote them as personal letters and never, I mean, it was not after they had passed away that they were edited and published into a book. So you get a little bit more candid view of things. And sometimes it wasn't production. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't written for production. When I look up the lost ladies of garden writing, sometimes Mm -hmm. they will have talked about them. And so there will be a snippet show up in the Google book search. And so then I go get my copy. So they they talked about Catherine S. White talked about one of Buckner Hollingsworth's books and said mm-hmm. it wasn't quite good, but she did give it a nice shout out in the New Yorker anyway, because she liked Buckner. <laughs> and then they noted that Doretta Claber, who I still need to write about, that she had a book coming out about violets. That was in 1968. I think the book came out in 78. I mean, it took a mm-hmm. long time. It took a long time to write that. But I can see why, because violets can be confusing, I think, especially if you're trying to track all that stuff down and tell different types of violets. Yes. So, yeah, they're both good. They're all three good. They're just good in different ways. And they're great to have on your nightstand. 
Yes. In the winter time, because yes. you feel like you're talking with friends. Yes. And I think we would be friends with all of these people if we had the chance. Yes. Well, maybe we would. I don't know. So well, would you not be friends of them? I, I think I would probably be friends with all of them. I'd probably be in awe of all of them. You know, we're not in this, we're not in this sphere that they traveled in, D. Well, I think some people feel that way about us, but okay. that's another day. Because all this is, all this podcast is, is letters between yeah. two people. All right. So between two friends. Okay. And then you brought up another gardening letters book. Well, I wanted, I'll say about that book, but I want to say over in Garden Rant, our friend Marianne Wilburn and then Scott Beerline, who I guess is a friend too, they exchange letters back and forth on Garden Rant, just razzing each other like crazy. They're both very funny. Scott they are is very funny. funny. They're both um, funny. They are, they are both well-written people. So that's cool. All right. So another book of gardening letters, which we both own. We reviewed a while, a while back. It's a new yes. one. Tell about letters night flowers. Though. Tell about night flowers. Eudora Welty's Gardening Letters, 1940 to 1949, edited by Julie Eichelberger. This one is also good because she... I mean, Eudora Welty is like a American legend of writing. I've been to Southern her garden writing. too. I know you have you because texted you, me, you texted me and you said where you were. And I said, go to Eudora's garden. And I didn't even know if we could get in. And we did. And it was, you know, it was in the middle of being redone, but it didn't matter. You could see the bones. That's all I needed to see. But the, I absolutely love that book. Yeah. And again... She wrote, these are mostly letters to friends and her editor. She never thought that these were going to be published into a book. So the candid nature of them is very lovely. So if anybody knows of any other books of letters between two gardeners, we would love to know. Give us a comment or send us an email if you have a set of letters that we don't know know about. I just thought of someone that should have one. Beverly Nichols. He should have had letters with somebody else. You know what I mean? Somebody yeah. should write that book because he was prolific and he was a very prolific letter writer, I'm sure, because of the time period. But okay. when anybody has any any letters between gardeners, let us know. We'd love to we'd love to find out about them. Now do that next quote. Gratitude is the healthiest of all human emotions. The more you express gratitude for what you have, the more likely you will have even more to express gratitude for. And that's by Zig Ziglar, which if, if young people- See you at the top. They'll go with Zig Ziglar. He was very famous. Yeah. I remember years and years and years and years ago at work, we we all read a Zig Ziglar book together, like, you know, like a team building thing. He's like Norman Vincent Peale. He was See you at the top. Thing, right? Yeah. See you at the so, top. <laughs> so our dirt- you came up with our dirt because of me. You kept texting me this Mary Jane's Farm magazine, the October November issue. You just kept texting me one thing after the other, and then I Aren't thought, they "Great though." I said we should just talk about this magazine as dirt, and I put in the there that D will now tell us about this magazine and what she loves okay. about it. So I don't get it all the time, but I've about decided I'm going to subscribe to it because I thought this issue was fabulous. And I have a lot of fall issues of a lot of magazines because I love fall. It's my favorite season. The summer, the hot summer weather is over. It's not winter yet. It's lovely. Blue skies, right? Blue skies. This is one. This is the best of the group of all of them that I got. 
And I did not get the British one that Teresa told me to get, which I'm sorry, Teresa, I wish I had Teresa Byington and I'll try to go find it. It's one of the, it, she says it's the, like this too. Here's what I like about this one. It's not just about farming. It's not just about gardening. It's about cooking, farming, aprons. There's a whole article on aprons, which is fun and why people collect them. Yeah, they do. And people make them. They're back popular again. And I feel a blog post coming on about finding my people, you know, because I've worn aprons before. I love dresses, especially when I go to church. There's a whole thing on compound butters. I mean, nobody's writing. I've never even heard of compound butter. Compound butter is when you take butters and you put other stuff in it, like honey butter. That's a compound okay. butter. Yeah. Okay. okay. I've so seen that. they tell you how to make butter in this issue, which if you've never made butter, it's fun to do. And it's a fun thing to do with kids. They have a whole thing on sourdough. They have a whole thing on side dishes, special enough for your holiday, which in other words is side dishes from Thanksgiving, but written in a really fun way. What else can I say about it? It's just... A whole thing. There's a whole thing. Like some of it's fiction. You just don't find magazines like that now. So well, I, I think it's. I'm going to go check having. it. I'm going to go look for it. Maybe I'll look for it at the local bookstore. Or the and library. the back page start is says. It, the back page, you know, is always a a memoir, a little musing type deal. Oh, and the name of it is "Here's the Thing: Musings from City Turned Country Farm Girl Rebecca Teal." And so she, it's about her farm girl. Co- confessions about gr- moving to the farm and not knowing how to do everything and asking really? for help. Yeah. About like, about dealing with like farm equipment. Farm equipment is hard to deal with sometimes. Yes, it I was is. dealing with our tractors yesterday. And anyway, my people are the homesteading people that, you know, I, I did it way before it was in. <laughs> yeah. Now I just was looking to see if my library had it. Because sometimes they have digital copies of magazines. Right. And you can look it up, which would be I didn't see see it. I'd have to go I'd have to go into the into the library. But anyway, that sounds it's also not shiny. You know, it's that paper that isn't shiny. And it looks like a magazine that maybe you might have read, almost like a a home and farm journal from like the fifties, but modernized. That is neat. I thought it was neat. And I didn't always love Mary Jane's farm, but I, I really liked it. And also she has a website. So if you just want to go check that out and I just thought it was fun to read. And I found so much stuff that I kept sending it to you. I was like, you this did. is cool. This is cool. This is cool. And I'm like, what are you reading? Oh, and I was going to say one more thing about the magazines. So I have some magazines and I don't get through them. And I thought to myself, I'm still thinking about subscribing to this one because there is just something so pleasant about sitting down and enjoying a magazine. I fix a cup of tea and I really rest. It's so different from scrolling. It is very different. That's all. All right. I'm going to do a quote. Take us to rabbit holes. Of course, the character of my garden is also determined by things beyond any human decision, mine or anyone else's. Alan Lacey. Alan Lacey. He's a wonderful writer. He is. Was. He's passed, but. He has passed. Russell Studebaker is the Oklahoma horticulturist who gave me two of my favorite asters, Hella Lacey and Jindai. And, and he, is he passed. gave me some other things too. And he's passed too. And actually somebody was writing about that on Facebook the other day. And I said, I miss him too. Very much. All Articles. right. You want me to do mine first? Yeah. Cause yours is real. Mine's short. 
So I did finish reading a book called Last Christmas in Paris. I should have had the author's name, but it was an epistolary novel. We talked about those written as letters. It was charming, but really no references to gardening other than there was a violet scent to some of the old letters. But anyway, I did finish reading another book called An Episode of Sparrows by Rumor Godden, which I read I about in Marta McDowell's book, I love Gardening Rumor Garden. Huh? I love Rumor Garden. And actually, Bruce Willis's daughter, Rumor, is named after her. Really? Mm-hmm. Keep going. Well, I read about that book in Marta McDowell's book, Gardening Can Be Murder. Mm-hmm. And by the way, just as an aside, Rumor's husband left her with two daughters in Calcutta, penniless, and so she had to start writing to make a living. I didn't know that about Rumor. I knew she had a really hard life at times. She did. She was also in India. She was raised part of her life in India as a child. Yes. But anyway, so an episode of Sparrows is a mystery because on the rich side of the garden, the soil, somebody's been stealing soil. And so, but the whole story takes place on the poor side of the garden in South London, where a little girl named Lovejoy Mason falls in love with gardening Mm -hmm. because she stole a pack of seeds. Actually, somebody dropped it off a bus and then she's like 10 or 11. (laughs) Somebody dropped it on the street. So she went to grab it, but this little kid named Sparky got beat her to it, but she grabbed it out of Sparky's hand and ran with it. And what were the seeds of? The seeds were for cornflowers. So ah, bachelor to, buttons. But to make the long story longer, so the 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 boys that ran in a little gang that was headed up by Tip Malone, the garden was in the ruins of a bombed out church in South London. Mm-hmm. She thought it was hidden. Well, it turned out to be right where the boys like to go and have their secret meetings. So they destroyed it. She got really upset. I mean, she has nothing. This girl is abandoned, penniless, you know, she So Tip, they're both like 11. He helps her find a better spot for the garden. And that's when she discovers pansies. She goes to great lengths to put pansies into her garden, which warmed my heart. I bet it did. And But then she turned. And the reason they... away the whole book. Well, I'm going to... I am. So people can just like... Anyway, the whole point of this was I thought, hmm. It's a mystery. It's a story with pansies as a, as a focus. Right. And I thought, I, know. I, think I wonder I know where this is going. I wonder if there are other books where pansies and violets are part of the story. I actually wrote a blog post about this to uh-huh. say this is an obscure genre of fiction, <laughs> stories that involve violets and pansies. So I found another one. I and I I should have listed it because. <laughs> When you when you go searching for something like this, no one's made a list of these books, Dee. Can you believe that? Nobody's made a list. Well, you can. That's why you have a blog. When you when you search pansy in books, pansy mentioned in books, you get romance novels with somebody named Pansy. Like, I'm not reading that. You get books about pansies. I'm not reading those. And you get there's a woman nicknamed Pansy who wrote like a bazillion books, but in late 1800s and 1900s. I was like, I'm not reading those anyway. No. So I have an idea. I think you would probably find quite a few that have violets because violets were an integral part of violet water. And violet water is why those letters are scented with violets because violet water was extremely popular with the middle and lower classes because it was inexpensive. 
exactly. But the point is, the that's just like an element of the letter. Pansies were a part of the story, D. Okay. So I'll keep looking, but I'm not this. I'm not gonna look for very long. I think I've I've found one other book which I need to read and then I'll see if it makes a list, but you need to be pulled up and out of this rabbit hole. <laughs> but first, have you read In This House of Breed? Of course I have. I did. Oh my gosh. I did. I think I read it love, two years love, ago. Love that book. If anybody has not read that book, it's one of the best books. And it actually was re-released a couple of years ago because Well Read Mom chose it as one of their books in their book list. And so it's worth it is worth reading for yeah. some now, reasons. And episode of Sparrows, we'll we'll put the links in the newsletter okay. or the show notes because it has been re-released. And there's speculation about whether she wrote it for children to read or wrote, read it for adults to read. And like I read Alice the whole Wonderland. thing. I think it's adults, but anyway. Well, Alice in Wonderland is like that too. And it has two meanings. It's not just written. I mean, it's a cute story, but it's really about adults. You would, I think you would like an episode of Sparrows, D. I think, well, it's rumor garden, so of course I would. And I think it's actually up on my bookcase. So my rabbit hole is very short, very, very short. It is just that I've been researching maple trees for my son's new trees, and I've been researching for hours and also for a client. And so it's been fun to research trees in general, trees with fall color. I did a lot of that this week and also just think about those things a lot because I'm actually going to have another empty place on the other side of the car barn, as Bill calls it, because our car barn didn't burn, but everything around it burned. We haven't, so we haven't gotten all those trees out of there yet. And I think that may be the next place we work on, but it's good to have hopeful things. Yes. Not just work on dead trees because that's depressing. So there you go. Yes. So what are we doing in our gardens this week, D? I am going to spruce up my talk for Thursday because I'm speaking in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And my talk is about managing a large garden without losing your mind. And it's tip for all size gardens. And then I want to pot up two more amaryllis that I bought. I bought one already and the other one's on its way. And I'm also doing a little topiary thing. I know people are really amazed. I am. I don't you know. don't like topiary unless you're doing you it. You know what? I like it in the greenhouse. Okay. I'm to play with in the greenhouse. Okay. And it's ivy, so it's not hard topiary. You know what I mean? Like real yeah. topiary with little trees. I just don't have time for that. Okay. So it's not, I guess it's not that I hate topiary. I do think they look kind of static, but I don't have time for topiary. I garden an acre and a half. So what else am I going to do? I'm sure there's more things. I'll come up with them. What are you going to do? So I'm going to mow the lawn and start picking up the leaves and shredding them and putting them on the vegetable garden beds. I'm going to start with the long bed where the zinnias and sunflowers were that those didn't get done last year. So they could use a big pile of leaves on them. And then I got to decide what to do with the zinnias and sunflowers. I might chip them up in my chipper. They'd be great on your perennial garden. Probably. Yeah. And then I got to rake up. I'll rake up more acorns and the guys are coming to trim trees. Tuesday, and I'm going to tend my market oh, greens. I see what you're saying here. You were, you remember that there's powdery mildew on zinnias, yes, and it might be a problem. Yeah, I wouldn't mulch my cut flower garden with powdery mildew zinnias, but maybe maybe just put them in the compost pile. I don't know. I got to go to Garden Club tomorrow, and that's pretty much it. 
Shall we wrap this up? I I think we've talked a long time. I think we have too, but I remembered one more thing. I got to clean up the cutting gardens and then spread some compost on Tomo. The end. The end. Thank you for listening to The Garden Angelus. I hope you've hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. We publish every week on Wednesdays at 12 a.m. Eastern Time. If you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And subscribe to our Substack newsletter, The Garden Angelus at substack.com, also linked to in our show notes. If you do, you'll get a link to listen to the podcast a day early. And if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we earn a small commission and it costs you nothing. Or you can set up a monthly subscription through Buzzsprout or make a one-time donation through PayPal. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.